get on going. We're going to be over in the book of Luke, Luke chapter 4, eventually. Bob heard a rumor that his father, grandfather, and great-grandfather had all walked on water on their 21st birthday. He'd heard this for a long time, and he was talking about it to his friend Brian. And so on his 21st birthday, they decided to head to the lake. They, got, they rented a boat, they went on out in the lake, he decided, I am going to do this. If my great-grandfather, if my grandfather, and if my father could do this, I can do it. And so they got out in the lake, and he stood on the edge of the boat, and he stepped off and went right down. Didn't walk on the water at all. They came back dejected, kind of frustrated, mad. And so uh, when he came back home, he, he went to his grandmother, and he said, Grandma, how come I could not walk on the water? I know my grandfather did it, my great-grandfather did it, and my dad walked on the water on their 21st birthday. And so she said, well, it's simply this. You were born in July. They were born in January. Sometimes this helps us to get the whole story on things, doesn't it? Well, fathers, we're glad to have you here today. We have some special things to do with you after the service, which we hope we can hang around for. Last number of weeks, we've been looking at discerning the difference between head faith and heart faith. Believing with just our head, just knowing what it is, or actually believing in a heart where we actually create a difference. Last week, we talked about expectation. How we can identify godly expectation from just regular expectation. We saw there are five aspects of it. First off, anticipation, belief, confession, declaration, and desire. I anticipate. Anticipate the thing I expect. I don't just, I'm not just casual about it. I anticipate it. I believe that what I expect is coming. I talk about it to others. I confess it. I declare it. I make declarative statements about that thing that I believe. I will receive this. I am going here. I am going to do that. And desire. That we desire the thing. The Word of God says, whatsoever things you desire when you pray, believe that you receive them and you shall have them. And the weeks before that, we talked about knowing the Word, believe the Word, speak the Word, and do the Word. We need to know what the Word of God says. That's how you get faith for the thing that you're believing for. Know what the Word of God says about the thing you're believing for. Not what tradition has told you. Not what people have told you. Not what you think you ought to do. But what does the Word tell you? Believe that Word. Then speak that Word and do that Word. We talked about how we are not to become forgetful hearers. But we are to continue in the thing that God has given us. Continue in it. And that's what we need to do. Glory to God. Well, in John chapter 5, if you want to flip on over there, there are some things that are done in the Word in the area of declaration. And we want to examine some of those things. One of the things that we see, one of the most common things we see in the Word of God is declarations of change. When a declaration is made that calls for a change. Jesus taught about this in the Scripture we looked at often that said, Whoever says that this mountain be removed and be cast into the sea, is that not a declaration of change? You're expecting that you want a change from one situation to another. And there are a number of times that we see declarations of change. In John chapter 5, after this there was a feast of the Jews and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool which is called in Hebrew Bethesda, having five porches. In these lay a great multitude of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain time into the pool and stirred up the water. Then whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was made well of whatever disease he had. 
And no restrictions on that, is there? Any disease they had, it was taken care of. Now, a certain man was there who had an infirmity 38 years. That's a long time. How many of you could come to the understanding that if you had an infirmity 38 years and sought healing from it and had not for 38 years, might come under the impression that God wanted you to have it? We might come to that impression, wouldn't we? When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been in that condition a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be made well? <laughs> what a kind of question is that, huh? Do you want to be made well? Well, he's had it for a long time. Sometimes people have something for a long time. They're not as quick to get rid of it. They've had it. It's part of them. He says, do you want to be made well? What is an answer to this question? Yes. No. Right? Isn't that the answer to the question? Yes, I do want to be made well. No, I do not want to be made well. What does this man do? Sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. Did he answer the question? No. But while I am coming, another steps down before me. Did he answer the question? He doesn't answer the question, does he? <laughs> it seems like he wants to because he's talking about what he needs to do to, to get well. Jesus said to him, Rise, take up your bed, and walk. This is a statement of change. A declaration of change. He, Jesus, is calling for a change. Does the man walk? He has not walked for 38 years. You might come to the impression that after 38 years, it's God's will that he be sick, that he be lame, that he be in the condition that he's in. 38 years. That's a long time. Is it God's will that he be sick? Jesus said that I have come to do the will of the Father. So if he comes over here and makes this man to walk, is it not the will of the Father that the man walk? But the man doesn't walk for 38 years. Does he have a desire to walk? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it would seem to be that you would have a desire to walk if you keep showing up at the pool. The man has a desire to walk. He is not walking. He is in the same condition for 38 years. How many have a condition for less than that? Not just healing and health and things, but any condition you're looking to change has not been going on for 38 years. But you all know you can get to the impression... That, well, I guess this is just the way it's going to be. I guess this is just how it's going to be. 38 years. Sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up, but while I am coming, another steps down before me. So Jesus says to him, Rise, take up your bed, and walk. Now, if that had been most of us, and we had had the same condition for 38 years, and someone came to us and said, Rise, take up your bed, and walk, what is the first words out of our mouth? But I can't. That's the problem. I can't walk. I would do that if I could. I can't walk. Wouldn't we say that? I'll tell you what, this man is something else. Because, And immediately, the man was made well, took up his bed, and walked. And the day was the Sabbath. Now, if the man had continued to lay down there, saying, well, I can't do that, he wouldn't know that he was well, would he? The way that you know that you're well is you make the attempt to get up and to walk. 38 years. Jesus makes a declarative statement of change. Rise, take up your bed, and walk. The man is not walking. The man has not walked. 
But Jesus calls for a change. Well, that's because he's Jesus. Right? I'm not Jesus. That's Jesus. But what Jesus did on earth, he did as a man. He put aside his godly attributes and picked up man ones. If he overcame sin as God, that's no big deal, is it? But he overcame sin as a man. And he went about doing the will of the Father as a man. When Jesus talked about the speaking to the mountains, he didn't say, well, this is for me. Don't you try it at home. He didn't say that, did he? Jesus didn't say, well, I'm going to do the greatest of works, but you'll be able to do some stuff half as good. Now, what did he say to his disciples? Greater works than these will you do, because I go to my Father. So, if we're going to do greater works than what Jesus did, and Jesus said to the man, rise, take up your bed, and walk. He called for a change. Then can we not call for the same kind of change? Even though the condition had gone on for 38 years. Imagine this. 38 years the condition goes on, and in an instant the man has changed. In an instant the man has changed. Can we not deduce from this that if we are in a condition for 38 years, or whatever time we're in, that, it does, that the time we are in it does not dictate the will of the Father? When Jesus ran into other people who had their condition a long time, the woman who was bent over, had she not had that condition a long time? The woman with the issue of blood, had she not had that condition a long time? Jesus says for the woman who was bent over, how much better this woman's been oppressed all these, I think hers was 18 years. Shouldn't she be set free on the Sabbath? I mean, of all days to set her free, isn't this a good one? To set her free? The length of time that a problem has been going on has nothing to do with the will of God. Nothing to do with the will of God. Israel was in Egypt for 430 years. And yet, that's not where God wanted them, was it? Joseph was in prison. But that's not where God wanted them, was it? Just because a condition is so, and just because a condition has been going on for a long time, does not mean that's God's goal. We've got to expand beyond this. We've got to begin to understand, just because I am in it, just because it is going on, does not mean this is God's will. In an instant, it can change. Joseph's condition changed how? In an instant. All of a sudden, he's called up to Pharaoh's office. And he never went back down again. Over in Luke chapter 4. Now in the synagogue, verse 33. Now in the synagogue, there was a man who had a spirit of an unclean demon. And he cried out with a loud voice saying, Let us alone. What have we to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Did you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him saying, Be quiet and come out of him. Is that not a declarative statement of change? Does he not stand up and declare in front of all, and call for a change for what is going on. Had the man been demon-possessed for a while? We don't know how long, but he had been demon-possessed for a while. And Jesus calls for a change. Be quiet and come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him in the, their midst, it came out of him and did not hurt him. Then they were all amazed and spoke, and, and spoke among themselves, saying, What a word this is! For with authority and power, he commands the unclean spirits and they come out. 
if you don't command the unclean spirits, if you don't say anything to the unclean spirits, they have no reason to leave. Their motivation, their reason for leaving is, I called for a change. And the report about him went out into every place in the surrounding region. Now, verse 38. Now, he arose from the synagogue and entered Simon's house. But Simon's wife's mother was sick with a high fever. What's that make her? His mother-in-law. There you are. <laughs> and they made request of him concerning her. And he stood over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her. And immediately she rose and served him. He does not rebuke the mother-in-law, does he? He rebukes the fever. He rebukes the fever. Now, how many times have you dealt with a fever in your, in your lifetime? Either with yourself or with your children. How do you usually deal with a fever? Aspirin. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yeah. How did Jesus deal with it? Anybody got a bottle of aspirin around here? Just need to pop her one pill. She'll be fine. What's he do? Has he asked God for, for healing? What's, it, what's he do? It's simple. He speaks to the fever. He calls for a change and he speaks to the fever. He spoke to the demon spirit and the demon spirit left. He spoke to the fever and the fever left. He spoke to the fever. Said he rebuked the fever and it left. And she got up and started taking care of him. Now, how many of you, if she got up with her fever, must have been a really high fever and something that was, you know, not just making her uncomfortable. Fevers can be life-threatening. How many of you, after a person went through a situation that you had to call Jesus in on for a fever, would let the mother-in-law get up and start work, waiting on you? When we say, oh, just sit on down here. Take it easy. You don't want to, you don't want to push it. Careful. I mean, you just went through a really tough thing. What, is, what do they do? And Jesus is perfectly fine with this. Yeah, get up and make me something. <laughs> Come on now. If we speak to things, folks, why are we babying them after we speak to it? Did you call for a change? Did you believe that change happened? Then why in the world are you babying the thing? Call for a change and put it to work. Call for a fever change, put the mother-in-law to work. There you go. Scriptural. Get your mother-in-law working. Simon's wife's mother was sick with a high fever and they made request of him concerning her. And he stood over her and rebuked the fever and it left her. And immediately she rose and served them. Now notice that he did not make a prayer to God. Didn't have to. Speak to the fever. When the sun was setting, all those who had any sick with various diseases brought them to him and he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. Now this is real interesting. There's a reason why we bring up the rest of this. We'll go over this in a minute. And demons also came out of many, crying out and saying, You are the Christ, the Son of God. And he rebuked them, did not allow them to speak, for they knew that he was the Christ. Now when it was day, he departed and went into a deserted place. And the crowd sought him and came to him. And he tried to keep him. And they tried to keep him from leaving. And he said to them, I must preach the kingdom of God to other cities also, because of this purpose I have been sent. And he was preaching in the synagogues of Galilee. Now, we're going to look at the same story with the mother-in-law in a couple other places. In Matthew chapter 18, verse 14. Now, when Jesus had come into Peter's house, he saw his wife's mother lying sick with a fever. So he touched her hand and the fever left her. And she arose and served him. How does Matthew describe the healing? 
He says he touched her. What's he leave out? Speaking to the... Look at Mark chapter 1. Verse 30. But Simon's wife's mother lay sick with a fever, and they told him about it at once. So he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and immediately the fever left her, and she served them. What does he leave out? So it must not have happened. It seems that Jesus so often spoke to things to cause an effect that a lot of times they just don't record it. Because if you would have read this in Matthew and Mark, you would not have known that he rebuked the fever. But Luke recorded that he rebuked the fever. He rebuked the fever and it left. Well, Luke's a doctor. He probably would take a little more attention to some of those things. Maybe he made note. He, he, he spoke to a fever. But the other disciples just thought, well, you know, he's always speaking to something. He's speaking to trees. He's speaking to mountains. He's speaking to demons. He's always speaking to something. And sometimes it seems that they just don't always record it. So when he has that he prayed over a whole lot of sick people and cast out a lot of demons, what do you think he's doing? He's probably speaking to most of those things. Now, he's not teaching us that we have to always do that because sometimes people just touched him and got healed. But more often than we're told, Jesus spoke to things and changed them. In Joshua chapter 10, real familiar story to you. So Joshua ascended from Gilgal, he and all the people of war with him, and all the mighty men of valor. And the Lord said to Joshua, Do not fear them, for I have delivered them into your hand. This is a whole group of people that had gathered and had taken uh, the uh, small group of people that they had made a treaty with. And the five kings would come together. So they had to come up and defend the one that they had the treaty with. So Joshua therefore came upon them suddenly, having marched all night from Gilgal. So the Lord routed them before Israel killed them with a great slaughter at Gibeon, chased them along the road that goes to Beth Haran, and struck them down as far as Azekah and Makeda. And it happened as they fled before Israel and were on the descent of Beth Haran, that the Lord cast down large hailstones from heaven on them as far as Azekah, and they died. There were more who died from the hailstones than the children of Israel killed with the sword. Then Joshua spoke to the Lord in the in the day when the Lord delivered up the Amorites before the children of Israel. And he said in the sight of Israel, Sun, stand still over Gibeon, and moon in the valley of Ajalon. So the sun stood still, and the moon stopped, till the people had re revenge upon their enemies. Is this not written in the book of Jasher? So the sun stood still in the midst of heaven, and did not hasten to go down for about a whole day. For about a whole day, the sun stood still. Why? Because a man spoke to it. Now, go back to the verse again here in verse 12. Then Joshua spoke to the Lord in the day when the Lord delivered up the Amorites before the children of Israel. And he said in the sight of Israel, Sun, stand still over Gibeon, and moon in the valley of Ajalon. Does it sound like he is speaking to the Lord? It sounds like he's speaking to what? The sun and the moon. So it seems that he spoke to the Lord about the situation. And either the Lord gave him inspiration of what to do. Or he saw an opportunity and spoke to it. But this man in the Old Testament under the Old Covenant saw that he could speak to the moon. That he could speak to the sun. And it would obey Him. This man, under the Old Covenant, before Jesus came, 
before Jesus did the will of the Father on the earth, before Jesus said, I go to my Father, greater works than these will you do. This man, before all that, spoke to the Son and it did not go down. Now, there's a whole lot of folks, you know, that pick on these folks, pick on the Bible because, well, that can't happen because if the sun stood still and the earth stood still, there'd be no gravity and all kinds of stuff be messed up and all that sort of thing. And we don't know how God did it. But God sure did it somehow. I heard somebody talking about things, the things of God and how, you know, people can call into question the things that God does. You ever heard people call into question the things that God does? Well, first off, God made the earth. God made the universe. How many of y'all know that God knows more about the earth, more about the sun, and more about the universe than you do? Than scientists do. And if he knows that much about it, he can probably tinker with it and make something happen. And we may not even know what all he tinkered with and what all he did. But because a man spoke to the sun, God caused that sun to not leave the sky and to have daylight all the time. Are there places on earth that have daylight all day long? Yeah. There's also some places on earth and, and that have nighttime all day long. Now, of course, you know, it varies. Even around here, you know, right now, it's, it's light, late. How many of y'all like that? I like it when it's light, late. But you know the day's coming. And we're going to be having darkness at 4 o'clock in the afternoon. <laughs> it's, it's, it's coming. We know that it happens around here. But then it, it begins to get longer and longer. And then pretty soon it's not dark until 9. Oh, that's so nice. And it gets light early. And we like that. And that's just how the, the things go. So why is it hard for God, who made the earth, who made the sun, who made the universe, to cause the same phenomenon to happen? Right there. You know, we, we all enjoy cars. I'll bet you at one point someone said, you could never have a car without a carburetor. But you know what? They found a way to do it. Can you imagine somebody saying, how can you have a car and push a button and the windows go down? But you know what? They came up with a way to do it. The makers of things can come up with ways to make things happen. And God is the maker of our body. He is the maker of the heavens. He is the maker of the earth. And he can make anything happen that needs to happen. So Joshua speaks to the sun and says, Sun, stand still. Moon, you hold your position. You don't move either. Until we are done slaughtering the enemies of God. The power of the spoken word. Up until this point, had Joshua ever seen a day, he didn't live in Alaska. He probably had never seen a day where it was sunlight all day. He may not even have been able to come up with a thought that the sun would actually shine on a part of the earth all day long. But he's talking with the Lord and either the Lord puts that vision in him or he gets the night. Somehow the idea comes up and he speaks to the sun. God may have told him to speak to the sun. He may have come up with the idea all on his own. Whatever it was, the end result was he speaks to the sun and he calls for a change. This hasn't happened yesterday. This happened happened before. And whatever it was, it was different than just the sun shining all day in Alaska. Because it said there had never been a day like this before. Nor since. What a vision to have for that, huh? 
Now, most of the time that we're going to see things in the Word of God, it's going to be a declaration of change. Something is being called on to change. But there also are declarations of continuance. In Genesis chapter 1, we already covered this one. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. Is there still light today? This is a declaration of continuance. This is a declaration of something to continue to go on. Let there be light. And God saw the light that it was good, and God divided the light from the darkness. God said, let there be light, and so there is going to be light. Thank God. He goes on in verse 9. And God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together in one place, and let the dry land appear, and so it was so. And God called the dry land earth, and the gathering together of the waters he called seas, and God saw that it was good. So God separated the land from the sea. And God put an ordinance in place that said the land and the sea would be separate. Right? He put that ordinance in place. This, and he said, let this be, and this principle has continued to be. Since this time, we have always had land, and we've always had sea. Always. Now, you know, scientists are out there, and their global warming hoax that they keep trying to put out there are trying to tell you that, you know, the seas are growing. And that pretty soon, California will be underwater. All right, stop dreaming. <laughs> oh, man. And that, you know, Florida would be underwater, you know, and the, 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 the one guy who goes around country, I forget his name now. But um, anyway, he used to be vice president. Gore, yeah. He goes around the country and he drew out a map of what the earth was going to look like in so many years. And you know what's ridiculous about the map? Is if the areas of Florida are covered with water the way that he says so, then there's areas of New York that have to be also covered with water that he doesn't say so. <laughs> he hasn't actually mapped it all out. He just kind of looks like he just kind of shaded some things in. But did y'all hear in the news this, this week, I think it was, that it just came out that the place that is measuring the seas and has been telling us that the seas are getting higher has been adding to the measurement every year on their own. Did y'all see that report? came out just this week. And they defended themselves as to why, but they've actually been adding to the measurement every year so much. <laughs> oh, man. We already know they fabricated the, uh, the, the heat and coolness data. Now they're fabricating the amount of water data. All to try and promote a, a thing. But what did God say here? The land will be the land. The sea will be the sea. Do not ever believe a report that tells you contrary. Because this is the Word of God. The Word of God says, The land will be the land. The sea will be the sea. And they will always be separate. These global warming people do not believe the Word of God. Verse 11. Then God said, Let the earth bring forth grass and the herb that yields seed in the fruit tree and that yields fruit according to its kind, whose seed is in itself on the earth. And it was so. And the earth brought forth grass and the herbs that yield seed according to its kind and the tree that yields fruit whose seed is in itself according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. So what he's saying is we're going to put something in operation and that fruit trees are going to always produce fruit trees and those fruit trees are going to produce more fruit trees and those fruit trees are going to produce more fruit trees and grass is going to produce grass. And herbs are going to produce herbs. 
And everything is going to keep on producing. So fruit trees will not produce grass. Grass will not produce herbs. And herbs will not produce fruit trees. Everything will reproduce and produce after its kind. So fruit trees will produce fruit trees. And then more fruit trees. And more fruit trees. And that will go on. Is this still going on today? This is a declaration of continuance. We have a declaration of continuance in light. We have a declaration of continuance in land. We have a declaration of continuance with fruit trees. And there are other things in the Word of God too that are out there. But let's take a look at this one with Abraham. In Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abraham, or to Abram, Get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. Now look at what it said. I will make you a great nation. That's a future one, isn't it? I will... Make you a great nation. It's not yet, but the day is coming when I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. Future, right? This is a future thing. And you shall be a blessing. Did you notice that change? And you shall be a blessing. Now, this is still future. You shall be a blessing. But do you notice that it's future with a continuing action? You shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and I will curse him who curses you. So what he's saying is that when people come up and bless you, I will be a blesser of those people. When people come up and curse you, I will curse those people. Now, when does this kick in? As soon as someone comes up to curse him, and as soon as somebody comes up to bless him, I will curse and I will bless. And this is a continuing action. This is what's going to continue to go on. These are declarations of continuance. They will continue. I have put them in order. And whoever it is that blesses you, Abraham, I'll bless them. Whoever it is that curses you, I will curse. This is a continuing, a continuing thing. So these declarations call for a change and for that change to continue. Now, we've already learned about the word continue, haven't we? Continue means to continue. Keep going. Not stop. Most declarations in the word are ones of change, not ones of continuance. Most declarations in the word of God are declarations of change not ones of continuance. I put that in here for a reason. For many believers, it is the opposite. But our, declaration, but our declarations of continuance look at how things are and for that to continue. What God does is God, even in His, His, His declarations of continuance, where He's going to say something and that's going to continue in. Let there be light. There is no light. We're going to call for a change here and that change is going to continue. You're not a blessing now, but you will be a blessing and that blessing will continue. There's no land now, but there will be land and that land will continue. So he's calling for a change in his declaration of continues, continuance. He calls for a change and for that change to not stop, to continue and go on. But we do it the opposite way. Most of our declarations are not declarations for change. Most of our declarations look at what is going on and declare those things to continue. 
Here's, a, here's an example. You may have said this before. That always happens to me. Ever say that? If something happens, that always happens to me. Right? I mean, it sounds harmless, doesn't it? But what's the problem with that? Simple problem is simple. We believe it. As soon as the bad thing happens, the thing that we don't want, that always happens to me. Things like that always occur for me. Seems like that's always happening to me. <laughs> you, know, you know what the problem is? Not that I'm saying it, even though there is a problem with me saying it, but the biggest problem is I believe it. I am saying what I believe. That always happens to me. How many? Of you, how about this one? Maybe you have said this. You never listen to me. Have you ever said that? You ever said that to your kids? You ever said that to your spouse? You never listen to me. What is that? That's a declaration of what you see going on and that it will continue indefinitely. Isn't it? Now, I believe it and I'm saying it. Oh, that's a bad combination. I will have blank until I die. I'll have that pain until I die. I'll have that condition until I have you. Now, certainly, no one here has ever said that. But you probably have heard people who have said that. I'm sure I'll have that until I die. Probably take until the day I die for me to get free from that thing. What are we saying? I am recognizing what I have and that what I have will continue indefinitely. Aren't these kind of the kind of statements that we're making? Things never go right for me. You could have thing after thing after thing go right, and as soon as one thing goes wrong, what happens? Things never go right for me. It always seems that there's a problem. It finds me. If something can break, it breaks for me. Don't we say stuff like that? I'm always passed over at work. It seems they promote everyone else, not me. They never give me a race. I'm always passed. Aren't we making these kind of statements? If we've really understood that the power of our words, the power of the words of a righteous man or woman could stop the sun, could stop the moon, if we understood the power that is in the words of a righteous man or woman, we wouldn't keep making these continual continuation declarations, will we? Now, you, you know, we, sometimes we get the, the... How many have ever been around confession police? You ever been around confession police? I mean, it seems like they're just listening. And when you say something wrong, they're on, they're on you. You shouldn't say that. And so you know what we do? We mask what we say. That doesn't fix the problem. The problem is not that you are saying it. The problem is that you believe it. A result of the problem is you're saying it. You believe that bad things always happen to you. You believe that if something can go wrong, it will. Have you ever told a story to a neighbor? Certainly not a church member, but, you know, a neighbor. Told the story of the, of the thing and how, you know, you had to bring this thing out and we're trying to use it and it wouldn't work. How many of those neighbors go into, well, you know, Murphy's Law... We expect it. It's easy to expect bad things. It's hard to expect good things. It's easy to expect bad stuff. Bad stuff seems to be easy. 
There's no resistance to bad stuff coming into my life. But good stuff, there's resistance on it. All hell, not hell, but all of Satan's kingdom <laughs> breaks out to stop that good thing from coming your way, doesn't it? The devil does not like blessings coming your way. He loves it when curses do. He's not standing in the way of a curse, but he's going to stand in the way of a blessing. Did he stand in the way of Abraham being a blessing to everyone? It took a long time for that to happen, didn't it? I'll put this in your outline. Even though we know that things don't stay the same. How many of y'all know things don't stay the same? We've even said that. Well, you know, the more things change, we're looking at change. But we, do, we don't expect things to... We, we like things to stay the same. But we know to expect that things are going to change. Right? You all know that you know, two weeks from now, you won't be paying the same price for gas. It's easy for us to expect the price to be higher. It's harder for us to expect the price to be lower. And yet many times it has been lower. And sometimes it has been higher. But what is easy? Well, next week, the yeah, price of gas is probably going up. That's easy to expect. It's not a good thing, but it's easy to expect that. Even though we know that things don't stay the same, it is, seems easier to declare that than to call for a change. It is far easier for us to declare that whatever is going on in my life will continue to go on than to call for a change. It's easier, isn't it? We've got to get out of this, folks. We've got to get out of the thing that things are always going to be the same just because they're bad, just because they're not good. If we got a pain, if we got an ache, if we got a bad job, if we got a bad boss, whatever situation we have that is not good, we've got to get ourselves out of the mentality, I'm always going to have that, that's always going to be around, and get into the mentality that that can change. The boss doesn't have to leave. The boss doesn't have to be fired, but glory to God, my relationship with that boss can change. I can speak some good things into that relationship. My pay, maybe it's better than what I was making five years ago, but I can still speak a change into that pay, can I? I can speak changes in these things. I can declare changes and expect God to work and God to move. If Joshua can speak to the sun and the moon, that they would stay still and it had never happened before. What's stopping you from speaking to your situations? What is stopping you? If Jesus can speak to a fever, if He can speak to a lame man who's been lame for 38 years, call for a change. If Peter and John can speak to a lame man who's been lame longer than that, if Jesus can come up to a lame man who's been lame since he was born. How much more can we speak to situations, no matter how long they've been going on, and call for a change? But too often we hear news of the job, we hear news from the doctor, we hear news about the economy, and we accept that it's going to be worse for us. It does not have to be that way. I've got to change my expectation. I've got to get myself into a godly expectation like we were talking about last week. Even though we know that things don't stay the same, it seems easier to declare that than to call for a change. Folks, let's call for some changes. Let's look at our situation. Let's look at our job. Let's look at our home life. 
Let's look at our understanding of the Word of God. Let's look at our sales. Let's look at how people react to us. Let's look at how we are functioning in the body of Christ. And let's begin to call for a change. Father God, give me vision. What can I be for your kingdom? Give me vision for that. I want to see that. And when God gives us vision, we can begin to declare that. Didn't Abraham have a vision for what he could be for the kingdom of God? You will be a blessing to many. Through you, I will bless all nations. You will be the father of many nations. Your children will be as numerous as the stars in the sky, as the sand on the beach, the sand in the sea. That's how many kids, that's how many offspring you are going to have. you believe that? Speak to your situation. Well, I don't know if I... Well, then get into the Word and get a picture. Get a better understanding of what can happen to your situation. How many have ever gotten bad news at a job? Well, this is going to happen. And we just accept it. Well, that's the way it's going to be because that's what they said. What's going on? How's your job doing? Well, you know, it's this way. They said, I'll probably get laid off in six months. They said, I'll have to take a pay cut. They said, uh, whatever they said, don't accept it. Father God, I thank you that I am blessed of you. And though they may not be giving out raises, they're going to find some money for me. They're going to find that I have value to them. I thank you for that. And begin to speak some declarative statements of change into your situation. I thank you, Father, that people like to buy stuff off of me. You know what? You can do that. You can, you can call for a change. I told you, I think I told you this story before, but one of the, one of the early jobs I had, uh, the first job I had when I came back from, from Rhema, I was back in this area, is I was selling suits. And, you know, I love suits. And so it seemed like a good idea to have suits, to sell suits. And over where the Pier 1 Imports is now over in Montgomeryville, I worked at a place called Adams Warehouse. And we, that was my job all day long was to sell suits. And so we would sell suits and, and, you know, to promote certain suits they had at the place, they would put a letter on them, A, B, and C. That letter didn't mean anything to the customer. They would see the, the letter on the suit label that had the price. It wouldn't mean anything to them, but it meant something to us. And, you know, it wasn't a whole lot. But, and I forget exactly what the breakdown of it was. But it was something like if you sold a suit with an A on it, you got an extra 50 cents. I mean, it wasn't much more than that. It was a really small amount. If you sold a suit with a B on it, you got an extra dollar. And if you sold a suit with a C on it, you got a buck, buck and a half. And the owner of the place even said, you know, it's not a whole lot, but it's lunch money. And so what I did was I set out to sell A, Bs, and Cs. And if a person picked up a suit and liked it, it was A, B, or C, I'm selling that suit. I spoke to letters. I declared I am going to sell lettered suits for 50 cents a dollar and a dollar and a half. And so what would happen was, and this promotion had been going on long before I had gotten there. And and in the end of a month, guys would sell five or six letters in a month. And they would get, you know, a couple of bucks, enough for lunch. I sold 10 to 20 in a week. Every week. The numbers that came after my name 
I was way up here, and the next closest one was way down here. I was getting enough money for lunches, and everyone else was getting enough money for lunch. But I got enough money for lunches. So they decided that I must be the most phenomenal salesman in the world. And so what they did was they started to pick out ties. And they said, we, we, we want to see you sell this tie. And I said, all right, we'll just pick out one that's sellable. And so we agreed upon a certain tie that was sellable. And uh, they, they picked out this one that had ducks on it. And I looked at the tie. I mean, it had it was, been here a long time. The tie had been here a long, long time. But um, it, I looked at it and I said, all right, I can sell that tie. And so it took me two weeks to sell that tie. But I found somebody. And you've know, you got to be careful because you've got a tie that can be considered an ugly tie. You suggest that to the wrong person, you'll offend them. But I, I, you, know, you have to read the people. And so I, could, I read this person and he seemed like a duck tie guy. <laughs> and so I put the, the, the duck tie with a nice colored shirt, shirt and a suit and he was thrilled. And he bought the duck tie. And so I went up to the manager and I said, you might want to ring this person up. And he looked over and he just laughed because <laughs> I sold it. Two days later, I sold the second duck tie. And they thought, this is just amazing. So they said, can we pick out another tie? So they picked out another tie. And this is a brown tie with like uh, silver and blue polka dots. Not small, half-inch size polka dots. And I said, all right, I can sell that tie. I had that tie sold before the week was over. And the man was thrilled. Loved the tie. Loved the combination. He left there happy. Now, I only worked there for a couple of months. And then went on and got a, got a different job selling stuff. But you see, you can speak to something as insignificant as A, B, and C suits, duck ties, (laughs) and polka dotted ties. And you can cause a change. Those ties had sat in there for a long time. They had survived many a salesman, but not someone who would speak to them. There are letter suits all over that place. But I began to speak to the letter suits. And they began to come to me to be sold. Remember the story of Jacob? When his wages were changed to the spotted, then all the herd brought forth spotted. And when he changed it to speckled, then all the herd brought forth speckled. doesn't matter if they change the rules on you, folks. God will bless you. Don't get frustrated. Don't get fed up. Oh, they changed the rules of me. I was doing so well with it this way. Well, now you can do even better. There's even more for you to be able to, to do. But speak to it. Speak to whatever situation you have. Don't sit there and say, Oh, God, I need to sell some ABs and C suits. Speak to the suits. Father God, I thank you that people are coming through those doors and they are buying lettered suits. And they, and they will do it. I've had other situations that, that had gone on. I told you the stories of the park that's down in Willow Grove. It was a nasty park. They put me over it because they thought that I could handle gangs. Or the, they asked if I could handle gangs, and I said, well, yeah, I don't have any problem with them. So we had a white gang up over here and a black gang down over here. And now of the two gangs, the black gang was a nicer gang. They, uh, they played basketball. I loved those guys. Those guys were fun. I'd actually went out there, and we played basketball sometimes. Just had some fun. The white gang, they were in the drinking, alcohol, and drugs. I didn't like the white gang a whole lot. I wanted to get the white gang out of my park. But there was conflict between the black gang and the white gang. The black gang is down over here, 
my pavilion is here, and the white gang hung out over here. So I saw what I was in. I said, this, this is not just the gang situation. This is a powder keg ready to go up. So every time I came in, I walked around that park and I spoke to the park. Father God, I thank you for the blessing that this place is, the blessing that this job is. And I began to speak peace to that park. I began to speak change into that park. And I've told you the story before, but the, the chief of police for Willow Grove had the vending machines in my park. And it was my park. I took ownership of it. That was my park. It was mine now. There was no one else who was the park attendant. I was the only park attendant. It was my park. And so the chief of police would come in and he would uh, change out the vending machine. And he came to me one time and he says, this is the number of weeks I've been there. And he says, there's something different about this park. I don't know what it is, but it's changed. There's something different about this place. And he couldn't figure it out. The... Uh, person who ran the Parks and Recreation Department eventually stopped calling me. I didn't hear from him for weeks. And then all of a sudden he'd call up and say, we just want to make sure you're still alive. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, I'm fine. Things are going good down here. And I'd give him an update of what's happening and, and, and what, what all was going on. But we caused a change in the park because we spoke to the park. I had some conflicts with both gangs. I had, when the black gang that was done over here, when he had a, a, a change in thing, I had one of them follow me back into the pavilion. They were upset at me because of some, some, something I had to do. Now, I knew he was behind me. I'm carrying about, but I'm not acknowledging any fear. Anything. No, sir. Not, a, not at all. I walked in the pavilion, and this man followed me in, and I knew he didn't follow me in to talk. But he eventually just left. Just left. The white gang, we had some, some run-ins. I had to kick some of them out of the park. I had to speak to them. I got nailed by a rock by one of them. Spoke to the situation. Never called the police. One time, one of the police officers rode down to the park, pulled on in, came on over and says, what are you doing? This park is different this year. We used to always get calls down to this park. We haven't been called once. What is going on in this park? The people who ran the, the uh, township, they came to me at the end of the summer and they said, it is amazing what you did with this park this year. This park has always been a problem for us and you changed it. I don't know what you did, but you changed it. He said, if you'll come back and work for us next year, well, anything you want in the, in, the, in the township, we'll give it to you. You tell us what you want to do and we'll, we'll get it for you. <laughs> I didn't go back. I had other, other things to, to go on. But that's just because I spoke to the park. I told the park, this is what's going to happen here. This is my, and I told the devil, this is my park now. This is my territory. As long as I am here, this is what's going on. And things changed. There is no situation that you cannot change if you believe it. And if you team that belief with speaking, that you speak to that situation. You can speak to your sales. You can speak to whatever it is that you want to speak to. You can speak to it. You can change it. You can create things. But you've got to speak to it. Not just speak to it. You've got to believe it. You've got to believe that first off, God does want this to happen for you. That God has provided this to happen for you. And that this change is going to come about. I believed that that park would change. I believed I could sell lettered suits. <laughs> 
If we can believe it and we speak to it, we can change it. But we've got to believe it. We've got to speak to it. How many people have ever invited people to church and they said no? Yeah, I always get that, don't you? People say no. And after a while, we can begin to expect that how it has been is how it will always be. And we begin to expect that when I begin to invite someone out to church, that they're going to turn me down. They're not going to come. You know, you can speak to that situation. Father God, I thank you that people I speak to about coming out to church will come. I thank you, Father, that you lead me to people and you tell me the words to say and you help me to, to, to get conversations going and that people will come to church. I thank you that people will come to Jesus. I thank you that sick people will come to me and I'll be able to pray over them and healing will. You can speak to these things. You can call for that change to go on. This kind of stuff can help you. You can change it. There is more to be had in the thing. More to do. But you've got to believe it. You've got to believe it. Well, we don't have enough time to get into the the other one, I know you all have some Father's Day things and like that to, to get to. So let's just get here to the end. We'll, we'll cover the next part, last part of it next week. What if we say things like this? What if we go out and leave here and instead of saying things, well, you know, bad things always happen to me. Well, it doesn't surprise me that that fell through. Instead of having things that, that go along this way, what if we change things like this? The favor of God follows me. What if he said stuff like that? Instead of bad luck, it seems like anything I touch falls apart. It seems like whatever I get involved with. Instead of saying stuff like that, what if we say, you know, the favor of God follows me. Wherever I go, the favor of God is there. People like to bless me. <laughs> what if he said that? Proverbs eleven twenty seven. He who earnestly seeks good finds favor. But trouble will come to him who seeks evil. Do you believe that verse? Proverbs 12, verse 2. A good man obtains favor from the Lord, but a man of wicked intentions he will condemn. These are only two verses, folks. There's a whole lot more verses on favor. Go out there and meditate on some verses on favor and have a confession based upon that. I have the favor of God. I have the favor of man. Didn't Jesus grow in favor with God and... If Jesus did, can't you... People will like to bless me. People will like to give me raises. People will like to buy stuff off of me. People want to give me jobs. That's just what they want to do. They want to, don't matter how many people are out there looking for a job, people want to give me jobs. People want it. They desire it. I will always be in good health. Boy, heaven, if you said something like that. I will always be in good health. What are we saying instead? Well, the flu season is coming up. I'm probably going to get it. Oh, I hope it doesn't turn into pneumonia. Here's one of those headaches again. They just always come my way. What if I say, I will always be in good health? Well, I'm not in good health. I mean, I got this. Are we supposed to declare how things are or how things should be? Let there be light. What was going on? Darkness. Let there be land. What was going on? No land. Let there be trees and herbs. What was going on? Nothing growing. Right? Didn't Jesus call for a change in those situations? And a change happened and continued. Abraham was not a blessed man, but God says, I'm going to bless you. 
I will always be in good health. Look at Proverbs 4, verse 21. Do not let them depart from your eyes. Keep them, speaking of the, uh, his words, keep them in the midst of your heart, for they are life to those who find them and health to all their flesh. A whole lot more verses on it than that, on health. Hey, but the Word of God is mine to understand. Instead of going around saying, Oh, I can never understand the book of Revelation. Oh, I can never understand Paul. Stuff he's, I can't understand Jesus' stories. He tells these stories and he's, I just can't understand it. Instead of going around saying that, what if we go around and say the Word of God is mine to understand? In Proverbs 4, verse 5, get wisdom, get understanding. Do not forget nor turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her and she will preserve you. Love her and she will keep you. Wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom. And in all you're getting, get understanding. Psalms 119, 104. Through your precepts, I get understanding. Therefore, I hate every false way. How do you get understanding? Through his precepts. So, what if I go around saying, I understand the Word of God. I understand it. I have often said to myself, or sometimes even out loud, there is nothing in the Word of God I cannot understand. I have declared that about myself for years. Many years. I keep going around. Sometimes I just look in the mirror and I just look at myself and say, there is nothing in the Word of God you cannot understand. Does that mean that I understand everything in the Word of God? No. But what I'm saying is, there is nothing in there that if I set my spirit to understand it, I'll get it. I thoroughly believe that. I believe it and I say it. How about this one? In whatever situation I am in, I will know what to do or to say. Oh, I don't know what I'll do if that happens. I don't know what to say if somebody were to say this to me. I don't know how to answer that. Instead of going around saying those things, what if we say, in whatever situation I am in, I will know what to do or I will know what to say. No matter what the situation, I'll know it. If a doctor asks me a question, I'll know what to say to him. If a boss asks me a question, I'll know what to say to them. There is not a situation that will come upon me that I will not know what to do. I will not know what to say. In Luke 12, verse 11, Now when they bring you to the synagogues and magistrates and authorities, do not worry about how or what you should answer or what you should say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. We just hit a couple of things here, but you can certainly go on a whole lot more. How many of you have one of those wonderful devotions that at the end of it takes the Word of God and turns it into a confession? Anybody have one? If you don't, get one. There's some wonderful ones out there that take the Word of God, teach you on the Word of God in a little devotional, and then at the end, they give you a confession based on the Word. How much better to be saying stuff like this than the kind of stuff that we are saying? And again, the problem is not just that I'm saying it. Don't get this idea, because we have this idea that says, well, just because I said it, that means that's going to happen. Well, I said it, now it's going to happen. No, the problem is you believe it, and because you believe it, you say it. We're putting the cart before the horse. We're trying to stop what we say and change what we believe. No. Change what you believe and cause what you say to change. Cause what you say to change. The reason you are saying what you're saying is because of a belief that you have. Change the belief to what the Word of God says. And then have a confession. Say something based upon that. If you truly believe it, you'll say it. Just the same way that you do, you talk about heaven. How many talk about heaven? Oh, I can't wait to go to heaven. How many have ever said that? I can't wait to go to heaven. 
Oh, glory to God, I cannot wait to go. I am looking forward to going to heaven. You know why I can't wait to go to heaven? Because I know what heaven's like. Because the Word of God has told me. I've not seen it. I've not been there. But, oh, I'm excited about going. How many of you have ever talked about your mansion in heaven? Oh, I've got a mansion in heaven. God is making me a mansion. It's a nice big house, big mansion, all, all kinds of stuff. And never needs dusting. The windows don't have to be cleaned. The carpet never goes bad. Oh, it's a nice house. It's a wonderful house. Why do you, why do you talk about it that way? Because you believe that God has gone and to make a place for you. How many talk about, oh, I can't wait for Jesus to come back? Oh, I'm so looking forward to Jesus coming back. Oh, I can't wait for Jesus to come back. Jesus is coming soon. We say that, why? Because we believe it. I believe He's coming back. I believe He's coming back soon. I believe He's coming back really soon. So I talk about it that way. Change your belief. You'll change what you say. Too often, folks, we want to be confession police and go after what everyone is saying. What we ought to do, instead of just picking on what people say and ask them, is that what you really want? Well, bad things, you know, wherever I go, bad things happen. Well, is that what you really want? What does Jesus say? Do you really want to be healed? <laughs> I mean, are you here? Do you really want to be healed? Is that what you really want? What's your belief? What do you want? Speak those things. Call for a change. Believe it. Don't doubt it. Believe it. Doubt that the bad thing will happen. Doubt it. Thought comes in, you can get fired. I doubt it. They need me. <laughs> Why do they need you? Because you are diligent with what you do, because God gives you wisdom, because you have made yourself an invaluable part of that company and that place of business. They need you. They may just go back to, you know what, I don't know what it is, but we need this person here. I know we can find other people to do their job, but we need this person here. We need them. We've got to find a way. We're going to keep them. we let other people go. Keep that one. <laughs> Why are they doing that? Because you believe it, because you speak it. You call for a change. Call for a change. Stop accepting what people tell you about your situation. Listen to what God says and call for that change. Let there be light. Let there be land. Let there be fruit trees. Let there be a blessing where there wasn't one. Call for a change. And stop declaring things to be continuing the way they are. Well, that's always happened to me. That's always happened to me. How much better is it if we get into a situation and something ha bad happened and that thing broke instead of saying, well, things always break for me. See how we, we put that into a continual thing? How about if we just say, well, that broke. It's past tense. It's, it's done. So we're, we're not putting any any continuance on this thing, it's, it's done. That thing broke. Well, that person didn't listen. Not they're always going to not listen. Well, they didn't listen before. But we're, we call for a change. What is your situation right now? How many of you all know of a situation right now needs to change? Four of you. Good for you. Everybody else is very satisfied with what's going on, right? Do you have a situation in mind that needs to change? Then call for the... Are you calling for the change? Do you believe in the change that you're calling for? And is that belief based on the Word of God? If the belief is based on the Word of God and you believe what the Word says, what you call for will happen. 
It will happen. It will come about. But you've got to believe it. Just because it's been that way for 38 years, just because it's been that way for 40 years, just because it's been that way for 17 years, 18 years, or a woman with issue of blood, how long was her? Eight, nine years? or I, don't, I forget how many she was. It was a while. Anyway, those were all numbers that were associated with other stories. Just because it's been going on all those years does not mean it needs to go on for another day. But believe in a change. Believe in a change. The man at the pool was lame for 38 years. And Jesus came on the scene to do the will of God. And instantly his situation changed. Which means it was not God's will for him to be lame. It was not God's will. But he stayed that way for 38 years. He had a desire to get out of it. But it didn't change. He's a good story to look at. What did he do? He heard what the Word of God said. He acted on it. He did it. He didn't question it. He didn't say, I can't do that. He did it. And a change came about. He didn't sit there and say, well, for 38 years, I haven't been able to do that. He picked up his bed and walked. <laughs> oh, it's, just, it's only that easy. What makes you think it's not? Would you all stand up with me? Glory to God. Father, we thank you for the help that you give us. We can call for a change in our situation. We can call for a change in our business. We can call for a change in how people buy stuff off of us. We can call for a change in the understanding and the wisdom that we have. We can call for a change in the knowledge we have in our field. We can call for a change with the favor we have with the boss, with the favor we have with the co-workers. When we apply your word and we do what your word says, we meditate on verses that talk about the thing that we need, whether it be favor, wisdom, understanding, power, whatever it is. We look at what your word says. We see if you do this, favor will happen. If you're going this way, this will occur. We can call for a change. We can expect a change. And no matter if our situation has been going on for 38 years, 8 years, or 8 months, it makes no difference. You can change it in an instant. And just because it's been going on for a while does not mean you meant for this to be going on. You want to see your folks blessed. Just as they wanted Abraham to have that child and for things to be moving a whole lot sooner than they were. Still took him 24, 25 years to get caught up. Father, thank you for the help that you give us. Whatever situation we're in, we can call for a change. Jesus called for a change on a fig tree. And it changed the next day. It was dead. He called for a change on a fever. And it left. He called for a change in a demon-possessed man. And he was set free. He called for a change for a lame man. He was no longer lame. Called for a change with a woman who's bent over. And she wasn't bent over anymore. Called for a change with a man with a withered hand. And he wasn't withered anymore. Called for a change with a dead man. He wasn't dead anymore. Glory to God. And not just with Him. Peter, Paul, James, and John, we all see they went on out and they called for change in the book of Acts. And dead people didn't stay dead. Lame people didn't stay lame. Blind people didn't stay blind. Sick people didn't stay sick. Demon-possessed people didn't stay demon-possessed. Changes occurred. Father, I thank You that there is nothing we can't change. If we believe it, if we call for it, if we've meditated on your word to develop faith, 
for the thing that you said, we can change it. Father, we give you the praise and the glory for it in the name of Jesus. Amen. We'll call for a change. What's your situation? Write it down, what it is you're, you're speaking to. What it is that you're calling for a change on. Doesn't matter how things are. How do you want them to be? That's what you call for. So what? The good man's been lame for 38 years. When Jesus said, pick up your bed and walk, 